Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, you know I do this every week, right? Good morning, everyone. There you go. There you go. I got to make sure you're awake and you're here with me, right? So as I go through my devotions, um, you know, when we worship, it's not just about picking songs coming up here. Uh, we we want to try to to read about what our songs are about, to maybe do some in-depth uh, look at what we're worshiping, what we're saying. So one thing I'd like to share uh, from Marshall Sagal, who who writes his devotion, I'm going to take some of his words, is praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according and make his excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's in Psalms 150, 1 through 2, and at verse 6. Psalms is God's book of praise to God. 150 chapters of God entrusting, God enjoying, and God exalting words from, from God. The book gives reliable and enduring words to our worship. It guides us in using the breath of life. God has given us to make much of God. Psalms 150, the very last of dozens and dozens of psalms lands his massive plan of praise that lifts us up all the promises and petitions that came before with one last call for us to worship the God we've seen again and again. It's a plea to reflect over the previous pages and let what we've seen and heard overflow back to God in praise. So the song we're going to sing it begins, you give life, you are love, you bring light into the darkness, you give hope, great are you, Lord. You give life, you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you
name it is is not because Jesus is a beautiful word or an especially nice sounding name because his name is nice you know it's because Jesus is a beautiful and glorious person when we run into the strong tower of his name and we are safe it's not because his name has special protective powers it's because Jesus himself is our refuge and our strength you know, we begin our prayers to the Father, as Jesus suggested, with hallowed be your name. And we end our prayers in the name of Jesus because we enter into his presence with thanksgiving. And we have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace when we remember who Jesus is and what he's done. And you can reference that in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So... I'm trying to do a lot more devotions, so that's why I'm, I'm reading a lot from the Bible and trying to give you reference points because I'm trying to do better at it myself. So, what a beautiful name it is.
song and show God just how worthy he is. Is he worthy? Amen. Amen.
Yes, Lord, he is worthy. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated if you like. All right, well, welcome to Hosanna. Hi. Say hi to everybody else for you. Um, my name's Jared. Uh, if you don't know me, most of you do, but there's, we have a lot of people online now, so I wanted to say hi. Uh, my name's Jared, and I'm the youth pastor here at Hosanna. And it's the spring, and I'm up here, so that must mean it's graduation time. So, <laughs> so um, yes, we're going to be going over the, the graduates, and we're going to be here to honor and bless them as a community. So if you are a graduate and you're here, uh, when I call your name, it would be awesome if you could come down here so everybody can clap for you and honor you and all that kind of stuff. Um, I know it's embarrassing, but uh, you knew it was coming. So, okay. Oh, I don't have enough hands, but I'll, I'll make two. Okay, so here we go. First up, we have Taylor Burkholder from Hershey High School. And you can clap and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, honors, graduating with honors, parents are Jeff and Janine Burkholder, and grandparents are Elvin and Lorraine Brandt. Future goals are attending Indiana University of Pennsylvania in the fall with a disability services major. So, cool. Congratulations, too. Next up, we have Nora Brandt. I know you're here. <laughs> Nora graduated from Hemfield and Willow Street CTC and received a Certificate in Veterinarian's Assistance and Brandy Kaiser Award. We're going to pray for you. Oh, yeah, you can come on up. That's fine, too. That's fine. You can stand right there. Oh, yeah, you're fine. You're good. You're doing great. Okay, and parents are correct. Oh, sorry, I went ahead. Parents are Aaron and Marie Brandt. Grandparents are Sue, uh, um, Scott and Sue Brandt. And future goals, and you're keeping your options open, which is pretty smart. So, all right. And next up, we have Sarah Campbell. That's fine. I'll just speed over. Congratulations. You can jump up here, too. That's what we're doing, apparently. <laughs> Sarah graduated cum laude from Pennsylvania College of Health and Services and completed her degree in radiology with honors. This was done while also working as a medical assistant at LGH's Quentin Family Practice in Lebanon. Awesome. And parents are Craig and Julie Campbell. And future goals, Sarah will continue working for LGH, but aspires to further her education in radiation therapy at Washburn University, as she has a deep desire to care for cancer patients. Aww. Next up, we have Courtney Taylor from Warwick High School. She has been a member of the Warriorettes Dance Team, National French Honor Society, and National Art Honor Society. She has taken various dance class classes for the past 14 years at Dance Dynamics, Susquehanna Dance Center, and Catalyst Dance uh, Company. She has been active in Girl Scouts for 12 years and is currently a lifeguard and swim instructor at Lidditz Rec Center. Parents are Lance and Amy Taylor, and she plans to attend Temple University in the fall, majoring in pre-med and minoring in dance. So, 
And last but not least, we have Brett Reaver, graduated from Lancaster Mennonite High School. He attended and helped with Vacation Bible School for the past 15 years. Parents are Matt and Becky Reaver. Grandparents are Vernon and Ruth Ann Metzler. And future goals, looking at trade schools and getting his license and getting a car. Currently works. That's a good one. That's a good one. Currently works at Real Cinema and is looking forward to having a full-time job. So, congratulations, Brett, and congratulations, everybody. Well, we got hold on, hold on. We gotta bless you. We gotta do the prayer. So. <laughs> Trying to run away. I know, me too. So. <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, we just wanted to say at Hosanna, we're super proud of you guys. We're, all, we're proud of all of our graduates, and um, we love you guys, and we're proud of you. And as you go, wherever you go in life, just remember that you always have a home here with us, and uh, you can always come back and get hugs and congratulations and encouragement and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I want to do a quick, that's, that's from us here at Hosanna, and I want to do a, a, a quick blessing and, and prayer for you all. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... Thank you so much for our graduates and, and all the life that they bring. Um, we, are, we, we, we are proud of them, and we love them, and we know that you will continue to bless them ha uh, as they go into their future, as, as you bless them the whole way through. And, Father, we want to thank you for all the people that you brought into their lives to help them, their parents, their coaches, their teachers, um, anybody, anybody at all, friends, people that helped them along the way. Uh, God, just thank you so much for those, those amazing people that you bring into our lives. And uh, Father, as, as our graduates go off and as they decide what they're going to do with their life, we know that you will continue to bless them and follow them wherever they go. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. And I do have one, I have one scripture verse for you all that I, I saw and I really wanted to share because I thought it was pretty cool. And it is, um, it's from The Message. And, uh-oh, my phone, phones, man. I had it all set up, and it just, okay, here we go. Oh, no, that's not it. Oh, no, I'm embarrassing myself again. I'm sorry about this. It just decided to move. All right. Okay, well, you know what? It's gone now. So I'm just going to say what Jared's version of it was. If you want to look it up, it's from the message, and it's in Jeremiah, and it's a really cool way of, the, 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 the whole passage where God is saying um, that he has plans to prosper you and keep you. Look it up in the message version because it's really good. So there you go. So, <laughs> sorry about the technology fail there. And congratulations. Thank you, Jared. My name is Tim Steer, and I'm so delighted to be back up here and sharing announcements. But I got to say something. We are blessed to have Jared leading our youth group. I am here long enough to remember when he was born and when he was running around as a little character, and he got in more trouble than he did with his phone this morning. But look at him. He turned out great. We are blessed. Thank you, Jared. It's wonderful to honor our graduates. I'm in my 21st year as a school board member, and this week was the first time I missed graduation due to work commitment, work travel. It was so disappointing not to be there. It's lovely to watch those students walk across. And I tell everybody, you couldn't pay me enough to be a school board member to watch those graduates walk across. And to know that we had a little part, even though we make mistakes as board members, 
they still are successful to graduate and move on and have an opportunity to make something of their self in life. So good morning. Let's start with the offering so I don't forget that, like some of our other <laughs> announced people. So if you'll just join me with a prayer. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to join together as a family, to be uh, thoughtful of you, to listen to your word, to hear you. Father, we just bless each one that's here. We just pray for those that are of our family out and about, traveling, helping with one another, enjoying vacations or whatever it may be. Just be with each and every one today, wherever they may be. Father, we just pray that you'll take this offering to bless it and multiply it to reach our community and those around the world. For your name, Lord, in thy name, amen. amen. Well, I have a number of, of uh, announcements, but uh, my family pleaded with me last night not to be anything funny. But you know, I do that. And, and so I thought of one little thing. Tony, your last name is Blair. There's another famous Blair across the ocean of a country that's very famous a lot of history. There's a place called Camelot. What was Camelot known and famous for? No, their nightlife. <laughs> Sorry. I just had a... <laughs> okay, remember... It is jubilation, yeah, jubilation June, and we're celebrating extra ceremonies in each of our services during the month of June. Last Sunday, we celebrated the ba baptism of Claire Nafsengiger, Kyle Stair, and Luke Erb. It was a great thing to see and be there. But today, we are celebrating our graduates and their accomplishments, and next Sunday is child dedication, and it also happens to be something else. Let me see. I think it is, oh, Father's Day. And then the last celebration of the month is our volunteer recognition. So no matter what is going on in the world, and again this week, full of crazy, crazy news, we are jubilant with the gospel. You're invited to join Tony Blair for the new adult class, Three Johns, Three Weeks, Three Encouragements, which begins today in the fellowship hall from 11.15 to 12.15 and online. Lauren King will be in the foyer again after the service, taking pictures for a pictorial directory. Make your way out to the foyer and have your picture taken. Make sure you smile. The more pictures we can take, the sooner the directory will be finished. On Saturday, June 25th, we'll be having a power washing party. If you have a power washer and enjoy getting wet, join Dick and Sandy Cobes at 9 a.m., I think. And any questions you have, contact Dick or Sandy. Now it says here, Tim should invite Tony. Oh, Tony, come on forward. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I was trying to come up with a funnier joke, but there were too many choices. No. no. <laughs> we never know what's going to happen when Tim's up here. I have another quick announcement and an introduction to make before we get into the message. First, the announcement. Anyone notice the gas prices are up? Seriously, we hit $5 a gallon for the first time this week. And my little Beetle cost me 63 bucks to fill it up. And some of you drive bigger vehicles than that. Anyway, I just, there, there's, there are some people really, really feeling this. And I, I felt a nudge, and Deb and I talked, and we had a little surplus in our benevolence account here at the church right now. And 
So we just decided to spend some of that on buying some gas cards. We know that there's, you know, some of us can just buckle up and do it, but there are people that are having trouble getting to the doctor, getting to the grocery store, to buy more expensive food there, or, you know, to getting to church, getting to their job. So if you happen to be in that category or there's somebody close to you that is, we've got, a, I think, $1,500 gas cards at several different places around the area that uh, we'd be glad to give. No questions, no, no grilling, no begging. Just, we'll just uh, pass them out till they're gone and, and uh, first come, first serve. And, uh, but um, if there's, we need more, I'm sure... There's some generous people around here that will make sure that we give, a lot, give some more. It's not going to fix things in the long run. The economy has to do that, and that's a different thing. But if we can relieve the burden just a little bit in the next couple of weeks, that would be lovely. So um, see Deb. Deb has a, the, that, that stack of cards. And, um, and uh, we're grateful the fact that you have been so generous that there is a surplus in the benevolence account that we can be able to do that and help one another out. The toilet. I knew I was going to forget the toiletries. We have toiletries available for this as well. For those, we have extra here. We have a collection that uh, we, we use to, to give out to people when they're in need. And there's a table right over here in the fellowship hall with a bunch of stuff set out. And if that would be helpful to you or somebody you know, just, just when the service is over, just stop over and grab. Again, you don't have to ask anybody. You don't need permission. Just um, you know, take what you need and, uh, and pass it on to somebody else if you know somebody else in need. It's one of the ways we help one another here. Okay, now, as far as introductions go, this is really cool. Jubilation June, this is something has really worked out nicely here. We said at our congregational meeting uh, back last fall that one of the things we were praying for was that the Lord would give us the opportunity to partner with some other ministries. And one just kind of happened here in the last few months that we didn't see coming. You may remember that Easter week we had this art exhibition here. It was a prayer exercise. Uh, by a Christian artist in the area, and one of the people who stopped by is the leader of a new ministry that supports Christian artists um, in this area and beyond. And we got talking, I just love their ministry, and I said, boy, Hosanna, this is our kind of thing. I mean, our sister church is in in Bulgaria is led by two artists. We got their art hanging on our walls and and other art as well. We, We love to support uh, art that Christians are doing that help communicate uh, uh, what God is up to and who God is. So uh, we got talking here. It turns out they were looking for some um, office and workshop and exhibition space, and we have some space available. So I'm here to announce that we, as effective earlier this week, we have a new partnership with Poema Visual Arts. They're actually occupying what room four, which was the blue room, the kid venture room that is immediately through that door, the closest one, the long one that goes back out toward the parking lot. Uh, we were not using it at the moment. We're going to see if this works for six months and see how, thi- see how things develop. But if you see signs on that door or strangers in here uh, <laughs> wandering around, you know who this is. But we decided to make it more than just a landlord-tenant kind of arrangement. We want to support their good ministry. And so we worked out something that feels a little bit more like a partnership between ministries and not just people occupying space in our building. And with that in mind, I want to invite their leader, their director, uh, their founder to, uh, to come and, and share with you a few moments about uh, what Poema is and why they're doing this and um, how we can be part of this. Jeremy Miller, would you come and share? Get my stuff out of your way here. Yeah, there you go. 
Thank you. Uh, it is a joy to be here this morning. I, I come with my wife, Anda, and unfortunately our son uh, was tied up with things at our home church this morning. Um, but we are excited to be here and to get to, to know you a little bit better. You may be wondering, what is this ministry that's moving into our building? Tony said that if you see strange people, not to get alarmed. Um, <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Um, <laughs> Poema Visual Arts is a Pennsylvania-based ministry infrastructure facilitating discipleship, education, and community for Christian visual artists. There's quite a few things in there um, that kind of define who we are um, and possibly why we fit with your church as well. First of all, we're Pennsylvania-based. That means that we work with artists all across the state of Pennsylvania. The, the state is our canvas. Um, and you're right in the heart of that, uh, in, in the heart of a, an arts community as well. We are a ministry infrastructure. That means that we do ministry in a lot of different ways. But we have three pillars that will always be involved, discipleship, education, and community. Um, we are a life one life ministry just like you are. And finally, we work with Christian visual artists. We had a lot of discussion up front. Are we a ministry that is evangelistic or are we a ministry that is equipping? And unlike your church, many churches don't know what to do with visual artists. Um, so we come alongside. We help churches figure out what that looks like. We help individual artists to grow in their relationship with Christ as well. Now, before I go on too far, let's go to the next slide there. You may be wondering what our name means. Poi what? Um, first of all, let's make sure that we get it together. So when you see this word, it said poi a ma. Say it with me. Poi a ma. Good job. You guys get an A for today. Poema is a Greek word. It comes from Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2 has that great passage about we're not saved by our works. Uh, we're saved by faith alone. But then it goes to Ephesians 2.10, and it qualifies the gifts that we have. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word uh, workmanship there, it's one of the only times in the Bible that this word shows up, and it's poema. We refer to this as the, the artist verse because many artists think that their worth comes from what they make. You like what I made? I have worth. You hate what I made? You hate me. Um, and this verse says, no, you've got it wrong. You've got it completely wrong. You have worth because of who made you. You have God's brushstrokes all over your life. And that's why you have worth. But you were still created to do something. You were created to create, just like your creator. You reflect his attributes. And because you were created to do something that was part of his plan, whatever you do, that brings glory back to God as well. So it's a beautiful thing. Let's go to the next slide there really quick. Uh, you'll see us about doing a lot of different things. Through the summer, we do something called our Summer Art Surprise, where we go to parks and churches and we do um, a pop-up art grab bag thing for kids. You'll, you may see us in, on the streets of Lancaster City or Lidditz or other places on their first and second Fridays uh, with our art cart. Um, just planting seeds for Christ, uh, as well as encouraging people to, to be who God's created them to be uh, as creatives. Um, let's go to the final one there. 
Tony told me that I have five minutes and I won't get kicked out of the building if I go to eight, but nothing beyond that. So <laughs> last thing is uh, our website's right there at the bottom. I encourage you to go there. Uh, check us out. We have a statement of faith there that fits with your church. Um, we also have a community uh, events calendar that you can see where we're at, and we would really appreciate if you prayed with us as different things come up uh, that we're doing across the state. But for now, thank you for having us. Thank you for partnering with us. And over time, I will get to know your names too. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Jeremy. That was awesome. And one of the things I'm hoping that you, you will see, besides what they do that we will not see, what I'm hoping that you will begin to see over time is that uh, we may have some exhibitions out here in the foyer that uh, we could be invited to participate in, or in the parking lot, he's got an idea there, or, or some other event kind of things that we could, uh, you know, we could participate in as well, besides just uh, supporting and cheering on the good work of uh, Poema. Um, from behind the scenes, so that's awesome. I keep losing my microphone here, so tighten that down. Let me switch gears awkwardly and talk to you about something important today. And don't worry, I'm not going to go for an hour. We will get done at a decent, uh, decent time. To say. It's about full morning, isn't it? It's kind of fun. All the stuff, could, good stuff that God is doing. Do any of you remember the movie from the 1980s called Amadeus? It was kind of a silly biography of uh, Mozart, okay? It concludes with a memorable scene. It kind of caught people off guard when it happened. Composer Antonio Salieri, he's Mozart's nemesis. He's disposed of him. But Salieri is now elderly. He's confined to an asylum. And in this final scene, he is being pushed in a wheelchair through the asylum. And as he does, he's imitating, mocking, actually, a Catholic priest as he passes by each of the lost souls in this asylum. And what he keeps saying is, mediocrities, I absolve you. I absolve you. Mediocrities everywhere, I absolve you. And some audiences, some people in the audience were left a little bit curious about that. What does that mean? What was he saying when he says, I absolve you? What does it mean to absolve someone? Well, I want to come back to that more fully a little bit later. But for now, let's note that it's related to forgiveness, which is a topic that I have felt very strongly compelled to take up uh, this week. I had not originally intended to, but over the last couple of weeks, this one just kept coming at me, and I thought, okay, I, I got to respond to what the Spirit is, is, is asking us to do. I would, I, my first point here is that forgiveness is a hard, hard thing to do, and I found it was a hard, hard thing to organize a message on, because I kept getting in the way. I'll get back to that later, too. <laughs> I, sometimes forgiveness is in the same category as getting a root canal, <laughs> cleaning out the gutter, or enduring a prostate exam. <laughs> forgiveness is one of those things we all know we have to do, but we often find it painful, hard, unreasonable. And we put it off as long as possible, perhaps forever sometimes. Until maybe we go to church and hear a sermon on forgiveness, which inevitably seems, this is what's happened to me at least, to dump a boatload of guilt on us. And so we scrunch up our face and breathe in deeply and vow to try really, really hard to forgive someone. Because we know that forgiveness is what God commanded. It's what God insists on. Like a parent 
who insists that we really, really, absolutely have to clean up our room if we want to go to our friend's birthday party. You know what I mean? And it gets worse. If we pick up our Bibles and just look up something on forgiveness and pull out a verse or two on the subject, even Jesus might sound a bit like that exasperated parent. Here's one. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, the Father will not forgive your sins. What? No forgiveness? No party? It feels very transactional. It feels threatening even. It doesn't sound a whole lot like Jesus when we read those verses out of context. So I'm going to try to go at this this morning. I'm going to talk about granting and seeking forgiveness today. But before you tune me out or hunker down for a heavy load of guilt, I, I want to assure you that I'm coming at it from a somewhat different direction. And I think Jesus is too. Forgiveness is serious stuff. And I've got some admonitions for you today. But there's also gospel in this. And since it hasn't always sounded like good news, I'm going to, I'm going to emphasize that part. I'm going to lean into the gospel part of forgiveness because there's some really good stuff in here. This message, by the way, just for context, is another in a series on called Gospel is Community. It's about how we rebuild community and with the practices that we can put in place in our relationships. In a world in which community seems to be disintegrating all around us, is there something we can do to rebuild it as the people of God? I thought I was done with that series, actually. At the end of May, that was it. We were moving on to something else. And then Vince Donicky came last week. Thank you for all the people who have encouraged us with your... Uh, your compliments for Vince's message. Uh, another ministry that we are getting to know better and better, Reading City Church, and uh, praying about what God has for us there. But he offered us a deep and rich message on how God forms you, God forms me through you, particularly through the love and suffering of relationships. And one of the points Vince made last week was that spiritual formation in our relationships is greatly hampered if we fail to be comfortable with the messiness of people's wounds. He then suggested that we must at some point face our own woundedness, our own messiness, no matter how uncomfortable. If we hold up a standard of perfection for ourselves or for others, you know what? We're going, to, we're going to disappoint one another and we're never going to be able to live in healthy relationship. Healthy relationship does not depend upon the perfection of the people. It actually depends on us recognizing our messiness, our woundedness, our brokenness, our pain, honoring that, dealing with it, and restoring relationships and building relationships within that context. So one of the surest signs of our maturity as believers is our capacity to, I just said that, recognize and honor each other's imperfections. Forgiveness, then, is how we must respond to that. Because if we encounter each other's messiness and imperfections, we're going to have to find a way to process that. And forgiveness is a tool. So I decided to use Vince's reminders as a launching pad for what God has for us today. Now, I said at the beginning that forgiveness is very difficult. What is it about forgiving people that we struggle against so much? I think there's some good reasons and some bad reasons. Let's start with the, the bad reasons, the reasons that maybe we should let go of. We struggle with forgiveness sometimes, sometimes because we like playing the victim. We get something out of continuing to play a victim, maybe long after an offense has occurred. Maybe some sense of entitlement. 
I get to act out. I get to do something I wouldn't normally get to do because I'm the victim. You guys know what I mean. And all of us, by the way, are victims in some way, some far more than others. There are some people that, for whom the world has been incredibly unjust. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I'm just saying the question is, what do we do with the injustices? Particularly in the long run. And how we allow them to affect both our identity and our relationships really, really matters. You see, because even if we don't perpetuate a victim status, we might still want to just nurse our grievances a bit. I know I do. Do you? Do you remember what's been done to you? Often? Stuff that's been done to you maybe recently or maybe even a long time ago? So I was working on this message over these past two weeks. I was surprised to find a lot of my old stuff come bubbling up. Things I had res- thought I had resolved long ago. It's like, what's going on? Memories of people who had done me wrong, pain for long ago, wounds that I thought had been fully healed. It was almost as if there were scars that were taunting me, or I was just the very fact that I was doing this, I was scratching them open again a little bit. And I was feeling some things I hadn't felt for a while. Um, maybe feeling angry again. It was interesting to see what was still hiding in there, what the residue that was a little bit left, that was still left there. I had to talk to my spiritual director about it. Do you find some strange satisfaction in holding on to your pain? As if that pain is somehow important to who you are? Maybe it is. Maybe it's become something that is actually keeping you from living freely. Why would we do that? Well, another reason that perhaps we struggle with forgiving others is because we haven't allowed ourselves to feel forgiven first. And because we're holding ourselves responsible for our mistakes and failures and wrongdoings, it seems only fair and natural that we should hold others responsible for theirs. Well, I'll get back to that later, too. Now, so far, this all sounds very heavy, and I just said I wasn't going to try to guilt trip you too much today, but I'm going to lean in the gospel. So let's do that. There are also good reasons to find forgiveness difficult. That may surprise you, but I think there are, and a lot of it has to do with how forgiveness is understood in our culture, how that word is used in our world around us. Sometimes we find it challenging precisely because we are mature enough to recognize that The concept of forgiveness is used in our culture is not always helpful. For instance, we struggle with forgiveness sometimes because what was done to us was not okay. You know, that's what you're supposed to say. When someone apologizes to you, you're supposed to say, oh, that's okay. As if it really is okay, and maybe it is. Maybe it's something that really doesn't matter, and it's okay. But what if it's not? What if it's done some real damage? What if you are not okay? And you know, that's appropriate. We don't have to pretend that things are okay to forgive someone. And I would encourage you to watch that instinctive response when somebody does something. Oh, I'm sorry. You might want to say, okay, I accept your apology. But if it's not okay and you're not okay, you don't have to say that. And then you will have to process your okayness for a while. It's it's okay. Sometimes we struggle with forgiveness because what was done should not be forgotten. That's another confusion in our culture, and I hear it in some sermons sometimes. Forgive and forget. 
And to be honest, probably 90, 90%, 99% of the ordinary acts of forgiveness are eventually forgotten and need to be. But there are some things that couldn't, cannot, and should not be forgotten. I'm going to get to an example in a moment, in a few moments. But sometimes we learn from our experiences that someone cannot be trusted. We remember what they did, and then they did it again, and they did it again. And, we, and, 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 we, we, and as Vince said last week, maybe we need to love them from a distance. We can forgive them, yes, but forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. It's lovely when reconciliation can happen. Paul said it in the New Testament, as much as is possible with you, live at peace with everyone. But it's not always up to just you. There are other, there's another person involved or perhaps other people involved. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the relationship hasn't been harmed and hasn't been altered. You can forgive fairly early on, but it may take a long time to rebuild trust, or perhaps it cannot be if the other person's not willing to do their stuff when you're doing yours. And that's because sometimes what was done should still have consequences. It's, forgiveness is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. So we say, okay, that's one of the things we cringe about a little bit. No, something, you did something wrong here and it does have consequences in our relationship or perhaps in another context. It's not an erasure of the past and it is definitely not an excuse to do it again. So if you struggled with forgiveness sometimes in the way that it's used out there in the world, good for you. That probably reflects some maturity in your spiritual life and your, particularly in your relational life that you ought to feel good about. But what do we mean by this then? If forgiveness is not that, what is it? What is this good thing called forgiveness? Well, maybe some clarity on what Jesus meant by it could help sort things out. So let's just break it down a little bit. In financial terms, this one's fairly easy to get. Forgiveness is releasing indebtedness. I forgive you that $500 you owe me. Yay, thanks. Jesus actually tells a parable about this. A, uh, an unforgiving servant, a guy who was owed more than he could ever pay, 10,000 bags of gold to somebody else, and the guy forgave him the whole debt. And then the guy that, who's been forgiven goes out and persecutes somebody who owes him a small amount of money. I, liked, I, I love this children's <laughs> description of it. Uh, it captures it really well. And Jesus told that story so we would feel the discomfort of that. That's wrong. That's unjust. That's unfair. If we've been forgiven a lot, then we should also forgive as we've been forgiven. Yeah, that's one of the points of it. So financial forgiveness is releasing somebody from indebtedness. Legal forgiveness, in legal terms, forgiveness is releasing somebody from any remaining liability for what they've done. It's saying you're free and clear of all this now. It's off the record. You're out of jail. Whatever the, the, the consequence was, we're done. It seems to be what Jesus was doing on the cross. When he cried out to the Father to forgive the crucifiers, they were committing a horrible crime. They were killing an innocent man. And what do you say? They don't know what they're doing. Don't let there be any liability on their shoulders for this crime that they're doing. In a legal sense. In psychological terms, forgiveness is also about releasing. It's about releasing my own feelings of resentment against someone else and thus freeing myself from that emotional burden. This seems to be what the father of the prodigal son had done. And he, would, he ran down the road to welcome his wayward son with such joy 
get this, before he even knew whether or not his son had changed, before an apology was offered, it was something he had released him to. And his son, by the way, had done real harm to him. But he had released that feelings of resentment against him so that he could welcome him with open arms. This aspect of forgiveness is really gospel. It's good news. We are the ones freed, no matter what the other person has done or has continued to do. And this is at the heart of what God means by forgiveness, by the way. This is, this is really good news. So if we add these up, we're going to see that the biblical understanding of forgiveness includes all three of these but it's particularly focused on how forgiveness releases healing into relationships and how it builds community then. And this is what makes the practice of forgiveness among Christians such a powerful witness to the world. This is one of the things that makes us stand out. It's not that the rest of the world doesn't know how to forgive. People do, but there is a power and a healing power among forgiveness in Christian community that startles the world sometimes that we're able to pull this off. That's why the message of the cross is so powerful. That somebody could be treated that poorly and still forgive. And that that spirit of Christ is inside of us. It's an essential, critical piece of what it means to be in relationship with one another. And so it's all over the Bible. I'll give you one, my favorite. I learned it when I was a kid, when I have to remind myself of sometimes. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Real simple stuff. Real hard to do sometimes. Sometimes the way Christians forgive is absolutely mind-blowing. Do you all remember the nickel mine shooting? Right here, Lancaster County, 2006. Yeah, it's been, it's been that long ago already. For those of you who don't know the story, a very troubled man living in the neighborhood, shot up an Amish schoolhouse, killed five girls outright, wounded five others before killing himself. And that was horrible news that after 16 years of hearing about school shootings, just probably we've gotten a little more numb to. The Amish startled the world that very day by immediately announcing that they had forgiven Mr. Roberts. And nobody could comprehend that, including many Christians. See, they knew him. He was the milkman. He and his family lived in their community. They knew that his widow, his kids, and his parents were hurting as much as they, the Amish, were hurting about their own kids. So they looked after his family, even if they looked after, even as they looked after their own. At his funeral which dozens of Amish attended. One Amish man hugged the killer's father for about an hour as he just cried out his own grief at what his son had done. And then they set up a fund to care for the widow and the, and the children. Astonishing, isn't it? Now, here's the part that the Amish were careful to explain. Had the shooter lived, he would have gone to jail. The forgiveness of the families would not have released him from legal consequences. Had he lived, they would not have trusted him with their kids ever again. 
probably wouldn't have trusted him with themselves. There were consequences to that, but they didn't hate him. They didn't seek revenge on his family. They even stored up years of grievances. They just forgave him. And it's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? Fortunately, most of us are never going to need to find within ourselves. We're never going to have to look to see if we have that deep of a capacity for forgiveness. The wrongs that others do to us, the wrongs we do to them, however significant in our lives, are not quite that painful. Most of them are actually fairly ordinary. So here's something else about forgiveness. Granting forgiveness is actually a recurring event in healthy relationships. It's not just for the high drama events that end up in the news. It's the stuff of ordinary life. As I said, we're messy people. We're mediocre sometimes, Salieri. None of us are going to do things right all the time. And sometimes, even when we're doing it right from our perspective, we're going to annoy the heck out of someone else. I'm in leadership. I, have a pro- I get paid to annoy people. <laughs> Some of my students had an exam this week, and most of them passed. <laughs> I got somebody who's really annoyed right now who did not pass, and I, I get that. Um, there's, it hurts. There's pain involved, and there's a messiness now in that relationship that we've got to resolve in a way that is fair to him and to fellow students and to the faculty and all of that. You know, to be in relationship at all is to forgive regularly. If you've shared a home with anybody for any length of time, you know what that means. And that's why Jesus kept saying to forgive over and over and over again. Peter had asked him one time, one time, you remember this story? Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Peter decided to make a guess, and he was going to be generous with his guess. He was going to show that he had learned what Jesus was saying. And so instead of saying once or twice or three times, he went all the way to seven, up to seven times. You want me to do it that much, Jesus? He wanted a rule. He wanted to know when he could be off the hook and he didn't have to forgive anymore. And Jesus probably laughed before answering. I tell you, by the way, that's that, that word amen, the verily I talked about a couple weeks ago for those of you that uh, heard that message. Verily, I say to you, <laughs> not seven times, Peter, but 77 Seven times 70. The Greek is a little ambiguous. The point was he wasn't making a rule. It wasn't 490 versus 77. He just was saying, as often as necessary, Peter. It's a recognition of what real relationship entails. The same relationship with one another means we're going to be at this on a regular basis. Peter wants to get off the hook because he thinks forgiveness is hard, but guess what? There's more gospel here. It's not always as hard as Peter thought it was. It's not always as hard as I made it out to be at the beginning of this message. See, Peter thought it was hard because he, at this point, did not yet know the experience of having been forgiven to his core. He was experiencing that later on. He was doing, the light bulbs would come on eventually for Peter. But I tell you, granting forgiveness is natural for those who know they've been forgiven. It just becomes part of the ebb and flow of relationship. Forgiveness flows in and flows out. Which is why Jesus could talk so strongly about our need to both forgive and be forgiven. That it has to flow both directions. That's what that earlier passage in Matthew was referring to. 
You can't just ask for forgiveness without giving it because there's, it's, it's, it's an organic thing. It's like water flowing. It doesn't just go in one direction. What feels like transactional is in his words at first glance is actually an acknowledgement of relationship and the flow that occurs between us. And it's absurd to think of relationship otherwise. Here's another thing. Granting forgiveness does not always need to be communicated. You ever realize that? The other person may not have thought they'd done something wrong anyway and be a feel, might even feel more offended by our claim that they have. And then instead of healing a relationship, we've just made it worse. And sometimes the communication of forgiveness even comes across as an act of moral superiority. I'm the better person because I forgave you. Now, this is radical stuff. We can forgive someone who hasn't taken responsibility for their sins. You hear that one? I see some of you nodding your heads, and I suspect there are others that the circuits are, are crossing a little bit. You see, it's not primarily about them anyway. We're the ones carrying the burden. We're the ones who need to set it free. And God shows us how. God shows, how, shows us how to forgive someone who hasn't yet taken responsibility for their actions. You know how he does it? By forgiving us. <laughs> and God has given us permission to let others know that God has forgiven them too. So here's another great story, one that just used to make the neuron in my head fire a little bit cross-eyed. One day, a man who couldn't walk was brought to Jesus by his friends for some healing. It's down through the roof. And he ends up with more than that. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of their friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it continues. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they get a point, don't they? How could Jesus say this? This guy hadn't confessed a thing. He hadn't prayed a sinner's prayer. He had made an apology. And if he had, shouldn't he have done it to God and not someone else? This isn't the only time in the scriptures that Jesus forgives someone on behalf of God without them even asking for it. And how is that possible? Because he was all ready forgiven just like you are just like I am the question of course is whether I have I have received that whether I've allowed that to work itself out in my life whether I act like I'm forgiven and forgive others but God forgives because God chooses to forgive and not because we have to talk him into it it's not about praying the right prayer. It's not about begging and pleading and pounding at the door. The old, remember the old Flintstone cartoons? Wilma! No. God seems to go out of his way to tell us and encourage us to tell each other about his generous forgiveness. And this is what absolution means. This is what Salieri was mocking in the movie. Absolution is to speak on behalf of God to ensure people that God has indeed forgiven them it's what we get to do to the people in our lives. It's what I get to do up here. It's gospel. God has forgiven you. 
It's gift. Receive it. Granting forgiveness to each other then is rooted in the nature of a forgiving God from whom it flows out consistently and permanently and freely. He doesn't take it back. He's better than we think he is. Just think of the images that Jesus uses for the Father. The one I mentioned earlier, the prodigal fun father, who is too quick with grace, some say. Or there's a story about a judge who rules favorably to people that other judges wouldn't rule in favor of. Here's another story about a neighbor who gets up in the middle of the night, attends to the needs of the person who lives next to him, pounds on the door at 2 o'clock in the morning, help me! And God is the image of that neighbor who says, yes, I will. There's another story about an employer who is accused of paying too much, not too little. These are not the images of a miserly God withholding forgiveness until somebody begs or does something to earn it. To grant forgiveness then is simply to do what the Spirit of Christ in us already does. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you actually have to work against that Spirit in order to not forgive. If you are in Christ, forgiveness is not nearly as hard as we sometimes think it is because God is within us, the generous, freeing, freely forgiving God, forgiving through us, with us, on our behalf. This is our default frame if we're in Christ. That's good news. Don't have to scrunch up your face to be able to do it. That power, that ability, the capacity is there. Now, that's just part of the gospel. That's the gospel about granting forgiveness. How about seeking forgiveness in community? How about if we're the one that's, oh my goodness, I did something and I really messed up this relationship. And I'm sorry, what do I do? Well, we need some clarity about that as well. Let me offer some things, and I won't take too terribly long on this. First, seeking forgiveness almost, almost always needs to be communicated. I said that granting forgiveness doesn't always need to be. Even if the other person doesn't believe you've done something wrong or has long ago forgiven you or doesn't even remember. Have you ever had one of those? I'm really sorry for what I did to you. And they're like, no idea what you're talking about, but thanks. Those are happy conversations. And it needs to be communicated to everyone who has been hurt. There's a lot of collateral damage in relationships, particularly in community. And honoring the other people matters as well. And it needs to be communicated without excuse, which is the chief problem with how apologies are made in our culture. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was having a bad day, and, I've, and then we start giving the excuse for what it is. No, what we've just found out is who you are when you're having a bad day, and you're not too happy with it, and neither am I. Right? <laughs> we give our excuse. To offer an apology without an excuse. You may, maybe can explain the reason, but if you offer an excuse, you're not taking responsibility. Take responsibility. And it needs to be communicated with more than regret. Now that bad things have happened between us, I really wish I hadn't done that. And often an apology sounds more like, I really wish you hadn't reacted the way that you did, rather than I really wish I hadn't acted the way I did. It needs to grapple with the why of the action. Why did I do that and take responsibility for it? It's actually a wonderful learning opportunity. Why did I act that way? Well, maybe there's an old story that I should have abandoned years ago that I'm still acting out of. Or there's a character flaw that most of the time others can't see because I keep it well hid, but in that moment they came out. There's a pattern that I fall into when I'm stressed. And I think being stressed is one of the 
best character tests in the world. <laughs> because if, if we are a different person when we're stressed than we are when we're not, then that shows us maybe where God, where the Spirit of God is inviting us to be transformed a bit. The primary exception to this practice of communication is if the act of asking forgiveness actually causes more harm than the offense. In other words, I'm not to, the purpose of asking forgiveness is not to seek relief from my own burden at the expense of someone else. And if I'm going to do them more harm by asking, if, then maybe I just need, I need to live with it. Otherwise, seeking forgiveness is a recurring event in healthy relationships, just like granting forgiveness. Everything I said a few moments ago. We may find ourselves saying sorry a lot when we're in community, but most of the time informally and confidently with the assurance of the strength of the relationship and the grace of the other persons that our apology will be met with forgiveness. You know, three minutes from now, it might be reversed. And that means that seeking forgiveness is natural for those that know they've been forgiven. If you know you've been forgiven already, seeking more forgiveness, is, it doesn't have to be a traumatic event. It doesn't have to be a moment of anguish. It's an acknowledgement that this is who I am. We get to a level of mature spirituality, we have nothing left to prove, protect, or defend. That's the way Richard Rohr words it. Admitting wrongdoing doesn't have to tie us up in shame. We are who we are, and we're being transformed, and there, there's great freedom in that. I'm not perfect yet. Hallelujah. But I've learned from this one. We don't need to be perfect. We don't need to fear mistakes. We welcome the chance to strengthen our relationship, and that's gospel. Okay, so I'm just offering you some practical wisdom. That, you know, how you apply it in individual circumstances requires a lot more wisdom. These are the principles that go with it. But having talked about granting forgiveness and seeking forgiveness, let's also notice the who. That's the what, the how. Let's also notice the, uh, the who. Whom do we forgive? And whom should we seek forgiveness from? Well, the first answer is obvious, isn't it? Each other. This is, about, this is about relationships. This is about community. And by community, I'm referring to any set of relationships we have over an extended period of time. This is, this is our families. These are our church friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, any groups that we're part of over an extended period of time, any time that we have an extended relationships with, the relationships that matter most. These are the ones where forgiveness gets very real, where it matters the most, and where our culture has not been doing it very well which is why people are canceling one another and walking away from one another and living in division and polarization because we've forgotten how to be in relationship with one another with our brokenness and our messiness and our imperfections. So let me pause for a moment because I've been talking fast and invite you to take a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit. Is there someone in your life, in your family, in your church, who needs your forgiveness or from whom you need to ask it? As I've been talking, has the Holy Spirit brought somebody to mind? Do you have a relationship right now that is not what it ought to be because there's been some offense on one side or the other or both? Is there an opportunity here to bring some healing? I'll shut up for a moment and see if the Spirit suggests anyone to you.
we need to practice forgiveness of total strangers too. Like the driver who cuts me off in traffic and the store clerk who doesn't get it right and the customer service rep on the phone who isn't listening after spending the last two hours. I have no emotion in that one at all, can you tell? <laughs> all the mediocrities of the world, as Salieri would call them, those who haven't measured up in, their, in our eyes. I have a t-shirt now that I thought about wearing this morning and forgot to, but this says something like, just be a good human. Uh, and it has just some suggestions on it. And it, it fits me, and it's comfy, so I wear it out. But I have to watch how I behave now. <laughs> because I get grumpy with total strangers sometimes. I'm the guy in the store in the long line or, at the, the, or in the drives or whatever. I could help these people. I could, I could improve this process. And what? how did that person get in line in front of me? They were, you know, and, I, and I catch myself doing this stuff and realize, okay, this stuff really doesn't matter. But what I'm reflecting here now is some of the character that, I, that God still needs to heal because that's not who I want to be. The T-shirt reminds me of that. My Christian identity should remind me first to be a good human. So I'll stop again and invite you to consider. Is there someone, even if you don't know them or know their name or ever know how to see them again, is there someone you've snapped at lately? <laughs> Wish you hadn't? Somebody who's a stranger to you but has done something wrong to you and it's still, and it's still bothering you um, or vice versa. Or vice versa. Have you inflicted yourself on a stranger in some way? So, give me a moment to think about that. We might also need to forgive people who are no longer here to be able to talk to. Former friends, perhaps, who have moved on. Maybe parents, grandparents, ancestors. People who have, probably without intending to, or maybe having intended to, inflicted their trauma on us. I had a lot of fun this spring. It was a really stressful spring, and um, I've been feeling tired. I'm looking forward to when I, you know, Joanne's on sabbatical now, and I'll get mine a bit later, and I'm looking forward to it. But some reason, I just, I eventually figured out the reason. I was compelled late at night, even though I was tired, I worked on this genealogy project that I, I ended up writing up and turning into a book, and I posted on Amazon, which is about the, I posted on Facebook, it's on Amazon, but uh, the, this past week, and some of you may have seen it, about my family. I, I there was a mystery in my, in one family line, and and I found three generations of trauma, three generations in a row where a wife and four kids were, were left, in two cases, uh, abandoned by the father, the husband. In the middle case, he died and left four kids, and they ended up in an orphanage. It was three generations in a row, and the, the third generation was my own grandfather. He walked away from my mother and her siblings, and, and this generational trauma that gets passed down, and I realized after a while that the well, reason I was compelled to do this, even in my fatigue, was this had become a spiritual practice for me. 
This was a way of me finally coming to terms with this family legacy that uh, had been passed down to me. And it was my turn, my turn, my generation to decide what to do with it. It was an act of forgiveness of the past. Yours may not turn into a book, it may not be genealogy, but I suspect that some of us have to forgive some people that are no longer around. We may have to go to a cemetery and talk to a stone in order to let somebody know that they're forgiven. Anyway, let me ask that question of you. I'll give you another 30 seconds or so. I'm still in the who question. Who do we need to forgive? Who do we need to ask forgiveness of? Some of us may need to forgive the world or life itself for being less than we want it to be. It's disappointed us. And because we sometimes confuse life with God, we ought to throw God into the mix here too and forgive God for disappointing us sometimes. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we have to say theologically God has done something wrong, but I, any mature relationship are going to include moments when we're angry with the people that we love. You ever get angry with God? Sometimes I agree with Ricky Ricardo. He's got some explaining to do. And perhaps someday I'll appreciate God's explanations, God's choices better. But you know, sometimes I just need to forgive God for doing things I don't like or making choices that I, in my limited perspective, do not approve of. And I do so with some gratitude for the fact that God's forgiven me for all those exact same things <laughs> through the years. So let me ask you, how are you dealing with the world these days? It's gotten messy, right? How are you dealing with God in the middle of the messiness? Do you feel helpless? Is your blood pressure up? Are you angry at the way things are? Are you getting bothered to God because of it all? I don't say that in any way to critique any of that. The question is, what do you do with that? And would some clearing of the air be a helpful thing right now? Have a conversation with God where you say, I don't get it, I don't know that I'm going to get it, I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to let you off the hook because this is getting in the way of the relationship that I want to have with you because I know you love me and I love you. I'll give you 30 more seconds to start a conversation like that that you will have to continue later. Then I have one more. And this leads us to the last. The last someone else that each of us needs to forgive which is ourselves. Told you I'd come back to that. Sometimes we screw up. We do. Sometimes we inflict harm on others. Sometimes we do things that we never thought we were capable of. And sometimes we're our own worst critic. The last person we're willing to forgive. I get that. But when we become fully aware of them, we're blown away by the grace and forgiveness we've received from God and others. 
we can learn to receive that forgiveness for ourselves and allow it to heal us because receiving forgiveness will actually heal us. It's a heal. It releases healing into our relationships. And truth be told, we'll never be able to help heal others until we've learned to receive it and live it out for ourselves. So here's my last question. What do you need to forgive yourself for? I'm not asking if. I'm asking what. What do you need to forgive yourself for? And is it time at last to do so? Well, I've just been nudging. Most of us probably need to have longer conversations and longer pondering and, and praying about this and maybe conversations with some other folks to, to figure out how we get to respond. But I do want to give us an opportunity to pull this all together with at least some kind of declaration of intent. With those faces before you in your mind and your heart, let's close this service with a simple prayer during which you may grant or seek forgiveness if you can do it right here, right now, if you're ready. But if that process takes longer, this is the kind of prayer that you can pray along the way. That your heart grows softer and more courageous. I'm going to invite you to, let's stand up as we do this. Stand up. And this is a prayer that... I wrote that's kind of general. You don't have to be in a place of forgiving right now. It's just an acknowledgement of the need, a declaration of intent or hopefulness that maybe all or most of us at least could pray at this moment. And then throughout the week, we can see what, what else God would do with it. Let's pray together. I need forgiveness. I need to forgive. This is gospel. Grant me wisdom, courage, and grace, dear God to grant it, seek it, and receive it. Amen. Amen. Live that out. I'm going to post this to Facebook if anybody wants to pray that prayer further this week. Go and be, no, revel in your forgiveness and grant it freely, please. Amen.